The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. Orange is the new winning color wheel. We're headed to Eugene for College Game Day, who we're looking forward to sitting down and talking with, and a purple hue, purple haze, as it were, for a Big 12 showdown. Lots of great games coming this weekend. This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, October 19th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. But Pete, before we dive into turning the page and looking ahead just to Saturday, I want to turn the page a little bit and look ahead to what's happening in just under two weeks and the first uh, revealing of the college football playoff rankings. Now, I know what you're thinking. Way too early to talk about this, and it is for this season. Where I want to go is expansion and a Mm -hmm. major problem I see with the idea of expansion as constituted right now. When the playoff goes to 12 teams, you're going to have six automatic bids, meaning the Mm -hmm. six highest ranked conference champions will be in the field. You say, well, that sounds pretty good. You might say, this is what we want. This is uh, this is how we want to give access to other teams using the AP top 25. Pete, do you have one of those in front of you right now? Or can you call one up? I have an Associated Press top 25 directly in front of me. I am accidentally prepared. Okay, so for this exercise, yep, we're not making any predictions. We're just let's uh, we're just saying let's say this were the end of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So the six high, let's use the AP poll. The six highest ranked teams will will dub them conference champions for the sake of our exercise. Sure, that means Georgia goes out of the SEC. Yep, Ohio State from the Big Ten, mm-hmm. Clemson from the ACC. TCU from the Big 12, UCLA from the Pac-12. That's five. Well, we still have another conference champion spot open, so we have to find that sixth highest-ranked conference champion, do we not? We sure do. So we scroll, we scroll, we scroll, and we land on number 21, Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Terrific program. Made the playoff last year, but they're the sixth highest-ranked conference champion. So the access crowd... They're happy, right? Or are they? Because who does that leave out? That's the next question. Okay, so now with the six, you have six. You have six at-large bids. So we'll use the poll in the same way. So Tennessee gets an at-large bid. Michigan gets an at-large bid. Alabama gets an at-large bid. Ole Miss gets one. That's four. Oregon gets an at-large bid. And Oklahoma State gets an at-large bid. Your field is full. Who's left out? Number 12, USC. Is that what we want? I mean, some years this is going to be fine. Some years you're going to have a team like Cincinnati last year. You're going to have a Coastal Carolina, whoever it might be, a team that you you, you are okay with. But there are a couple of problems with this, Pete. One of them is that by the end of even this year, and we won't use this formula this year, Mm-hmm. But it's it's a good, it's instructive. Yes. The sixth highest ranked conference champion might well not be ranked at all yes. by the end of this year. Yes. That's one thing. 
And the other thing is that Cincinnati is headed to one of the other conferences next year. I think this is a major flaw. It's going to rear its ugly head when you least expect it, and people are going to be mad. And they can see it coming right now. And what they need to do is establish a threshold. I think it should be in the top 12, but if it's not, that's fine. Even top 15, top 20, somewhere, there has to be a line of demarcation to to make sure that all of the six highest-ranked conference champions are worthy. Do you agree or not? So, Reese, I agree. I am generally a fan of thresholds, but with the way that the, 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 the new paradigms that we're going to be in with Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati leaving the group of five, is it, is it fair to put – now, should there be a threshold? Yes. Is it fair to say top 12? Probably not, right? Like, probably not, especially because the, the Power Five is going to stop playing in the group of five pretty soon once you game this out, you know, a few more, a few more years, just as yes. conference schedules bloat and such. There's going to be less opportunity – for those smaller schools to to to, to go and get a uh, to go and get a scalp from one of the from one of the bigger ones. So while I certainly don't think like some bandit conference USA champion ranked 29th should you know some hypothetical Kennesaw in 2034 should mm-hmm. should make the playoff. I also think there has to be an element of fairness th- that it's not too top heavy. So I agree with you in theory. I think it's an interesting exercise. I do think. As we enter conference season, some of the bloat of, you know, all these teams are going to play each other and lose, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Ole Miss is going to play uh, Alabama, you know, et cetera. Like two of the pack, two Pac-12 teams should make the playoff this year if they sort of keep their strength. Now, when UCLA plays USC, that's probably an elimination game, right? And, you know, depending on what happens this weekend. So they, I don't think there's going to be a I think every 12th ranked team would actually be a pretty interesting exercise to go back and look at the, the past 10 years and see who those teams are. Um, I, I don't think they'll be as deserving maybe as this USC team is right now that has just lost uh, that has just lost one game and in, in, in slipped down. But I do think there is a flaw. You have perceived a flaw. And it's how do, how do you think the needle should be threaded? Mm-hmm. I, I, but I'm also I don't know if I'm in the access crowd, but I'm in the business of fairness and opportunity. Right. I don't want half the sport to just be off frozen in a nuclear winter. I want that that half the sport. I want 60 teams to have a carrot to sprint for. I don't want in the NIL era to say, oh, you can't go star at Boise anymore. You got to go to Oregon State because they don't have a chance. I just feel like this playoff was constructed to keep one to one thirty vibrant. And I'm a fan of keeping one to one thirty vibrant, just like I'm generally a fan. Again, you and I talk about this all the time. We can't root, right? But I right. root for like healthy conferences. I root from Miami to Los Angeles, from Seattle to Boston. I want everything healthy and vibrant because that's better. Like, it's a national sport. It needs to stay a national sport. And I do think that though the other leagues, as they're being reconstructed and sort of uh, twisted through turnstiles and realignment, need to have a, a viable, attainable carrot. You can't say, I don't think 12 is fair. That's my instinct from hearing your uh, your take. Well, I, I'm sort of, of the, I do think that, I think fairness is what you earn. Sure. And it's easier to navigate your way through some of these other conferences than it is the major ones. That's always been true. Mm-hmm. Uh, which conference is the most difficult to navigate 
changes over uh, periods of time for a while. In the early 2000s, it was the Big Ten. For a long time, it's been the SEC. But it's never been the Sun Belt. And sure. so I don't like giving... Could extra, be the Sun Belt it, soon, though, the way the Sun uh, Belt's going. Well, maybe so. And it's been good. Yeah. Maybe that was not the proper example. But my my thing on the threshold is, is this. is probably tied to my belief that I don't think there is going to be a 1 to 130 long term in this. I think it's going to break away and be more like 1 to 70 or 1 to 75. Mm-hmm. Because there, there's not much in common. Sure. Among these upper echelon schools and the ones that are uh, hovering around the 130, I love it as much as anybody when you know the Sun Belt School when Appalachian State goes to Kyle Field and wins. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. we all we all love that um, because I mean, unless you're an A&M fan, obviously, and again, not, not rooting for it. When you do what we do, you like good stories. Oh yeah, and and sure. that that makes that makes for a great story. And I acknowledge that 12 is probably too strict to cut off, but I, I said that to make the point that I have been a fan of best. Best mm-hmm. teams get in. Not, mm-hmm. I mean, conference champion can break ties or whatever. Are you one of the four best teams in the future? Are you one of the 12 best teams? Once you get to 12, more cases than not, if you won your conference championship, you have a, a reasonable claim on being one of the 12 best teams, whether you are ranked, you know, 14 or whatever. But I, I'm telling you, there's going, to, there's going to be a year where that sixth, that sixth conference champion is not going to be ranked. Now, there are going to be years when they're in the top 10, but there are also going to be years where they're not ranked. So let's, let's just do this exercise right now. I'm using our handy-dandy uh, worldwide website, uh, ESPN.com. 2021 Final college football playoff rankings. Number 12 is Pittsburgh. Let's just let's just use a hypothetical number 12. All right. And then the uh, well, Cincinnati would have got in last year. So that might not be a bad example. But if it's somebody's ranked 20, I don't know if I feel bad for for a pit team that lost to Western Michigan. Right. Like I'm a fan of earned. They didn't earn it. All right. Like so we'll just again, it's going to be I think there's going to be some wild variants here. Here. I've got the final CFP rankings in 2019. You know, this would delight most of the college football crowd because it looks like, I think, Alabama's 12th. So if you assume it's always 12th, Alabama would have been the team that got left out. <laughs> so this is, this is 20, 2019. 2019. Okay. Yeah. 2019. So that's, that's what, yeah. That, you had, you oh, can you Ohio imagine the, the, the decibels from Tuscaloosa if uh, metaphorical San Diego State got in over Alabama? That would have gone over well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, again, you know who, who it would have been that year? The sixth highest ranked conference champion would have been Memphis at 11 and 1. Oh, that was a good uh, Memphis well, team. They played well. Penn it was a good Memphis team. Did they? I, I'm I'm blanking. Did they they won the conference championship that year too? Didn't they? They were the highest ranked, so I'm sure they did. Yeah, yes. they uh, they yeah, beat they beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati. They beat yeah, Cincinnati. they beat them back to back weeks. They went yeah. and played Penn State, I think, in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, and did not win, but I you know they acquitted themselves in that game. Right, they didn't they didn't lose forty two to three. That was yeah. Mike Norvell's uh, swan side. They may not have had Norvell in that bowl game. He may have been gone. They they didn't. No, I think he, yeah. he left. I'm pretty sure that was uh, Ryan Silverfield uh, yes. debut. So yeah. Um, all right, what's but 2018? It, let's 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 just do this one more time here. Okay, just, one more time. Let's see hypothetically fun. how we can enrage large fan bases. This is yeah. fun. Okay, Notre Dame that year would have had the first at large because they were number three and 18, but uh, 
but not a conference champion. Um, so you would have had Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, all in as conference champions. And this year you have you had the uh, UCF team in 18 that um, ended up going to the Fiesta Bowl, I think, and losing to LSU, but they were undefeated. So UCF yes. would have been in that mix, and no one would have complained about that. Nope. That was that was well earned. They were, in fact, they were uh, ranked higher than the than the Pac-12 champion that year, I, be- I believe. Yeah, they were. They were ranked uh, just ahead of Washington, um, who ended up winning the Pac-12, beating Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. But my my point is, I just want it's not that I want to eliminate the access. I just want to make sure that it's not that it's not granted to someone because you have to fill the spot there needs to be some type of threshold even if i would probably have to grit my teeth a little bit to be honest about it but even if you just said they have to be ranked and i realize that system can be gamed you know Mm -hmm. you have uh you have whatever conference champion and they go through the they go through the rankings they go wait a minute guys our sixth our sixth highest uh conference champion is not ranked let's vote again and I, and I'm not accusing anyone of malfeasance. That's sort of human nature, right? I mean, if sure. you're 20, if let's say the highest ranked conference champion came out of that vote 26. Yeah. If I'm the chairman of that board, I'm like not pressuring anybody to change your mind or change your vote, but we do have them at 26. Yeah. Let's reevaluate everything. And if you're still where you are, fabulous. We'll deal with it. But if you're not, let's at least talk about it a little bit more. So anyway. Yeah. And, and this is where I think that scenario comes up. Let's just say there's two upsets in conference title games and you have two four loss conference champions or three loss conference champions, right? Yeah. Like Utah State upsets Boise in the Mountain West and then, you know, f- fill in the blank in the AAC of, of who upsets who. And yeah, I in that scenario, I, I like it. I want access, but not charity. I guess would be where I would. That's fall. a great way to put it. In, great way in, to put it. And and I really think that we should on our Friday podcast we should ask Bill Connolly what his statistical threshold shut off. I, I think he could game this exercise better than us. We're going to game it in theory. I doubt it. <laughs> I'm hey man, kidding. If, if you want to see the math classes I took at Syracuse, yeah, you you would quick. Yeah, I, I'm oh, not going to sit there. And I can I can I'm barely joking. do like I can barely do long division Reese. So I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to claim that I have Bill's <laughs> statistical prowess. He also has like a really good way to look at things holistically and then dial yeah. them in through uh, yeah. through through his numbers. But so. it's just interesting with with us doing the first ranking show, yes. Pete, last night. It came mm-hmm. to mind because as part of it, because there were no rankings to talk about, we laid yeah. out what the future was going sure. to look like. Yeah. And wanted to make the point. I hope they change it. Even if it's just a small little caveat if they're ranked. Now yeah. the the people on in some of those smaller conferences, they're they're going to howl if that mm-hmm. happens. They're going to go, you're going to try to keep us out. But has Mike Oresco called you true. yet? No, but he probably will after. And I I think the world of Mike. I mean, Mike's <laughs> yeah. been put in a really tough spot and he keeps fighting and pushing him forward, man. I mean, you know, he he kind of gets it going, he gets in there and then off to the Big 12, uh, you know, yeah. go Cincinnati and carrying some of their yeah, he, he's done a nice job guys. there keeping that thing afloat. That thing's been a that's been yeah. an interesting exercise in sort of uh, trying to maintain a, a place in the upper middle class when you're, uh, you know, when you're when your high income earners keep uh, keep keep bolting for the uh, country club. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's a long way down the road. What's much closer is uh, the reemergence of the color orange in that color wheel. Not just Tennessee, where it's been dominant, but Clemson uh, seems to look a lot more like the playoff Clemson that we are accustomed to seeing. Syracuse is undefeated. They come in and visit, and at least on a couple of occasions uh, during Clemson's dominant runs, Syracuse has beaten them. They've scared them. They scared them another time, as I recall, too, that that didn't they didn't win. They've also been blown out from time to time. They beat them on a Friday night with Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant. And that was a playoff team that ended up going to the playoff number one. That Clemson team did. And And I don't think Syracuse won another game after that. Yes. That it was it was a weird quirk of a of a game with a backup, and they they laid Clemson laid an egg. And then they had them dead to rights. In Chase Clemson, Bryce. I b- believe the next year, Chase Bryce came in and converted that uh, that fourth down that we uh, that you very wisely brought up when we were at App State, and that that it that was a uh, th- it, what's interesting if we're going to dive into that matchup right now, Reese, is that early in Dino Babers' time at Syracuse, he ran an offense that was viewed as an antidote to Clemson. Now, the cynics would say they went so fast that Clemson couldn't steal their signs. <laughs> because that has been an operation that is that has been look talked about very openly in the ACC for a long period of time. Remember, Ohio State famously sugar huddled them the second time they played them in the playoff in order to uh, in order to avoid that. And again, I am not casting any dispersions on Clemson. That sign stealing is perfectly legal, and they had a sophisticated way that they did it, and they did it better than anybody else, and they used it as strategic advantage. Tip your hat to them and their army of analysts. But absolutely, if, you know. If, uh, let me say this, and I want yeah, you to go on. Sure. If someone steals your signs, get better signs. Okay, that's yeah. it. Please, yeah, no, no, it's your fault. Now, it is a fun thing to talk about, right? Because it just hits these like little vagaries in the sport, and it it, it dives into unwritten rules. And look, coaches are paranoid beings, right? <clears throat> And so that that has happened. So it, it it if you talk to coaches in the ACC for years, as Clemson has dominated that league now for close to a decade, that is a that is a big factor in how they prepare for them, how they think about them, etc. So the interesting part about this orange on orange matchup is that this Syracuse team is completely different than those early ones that bedeviled Clemson. They do not play fast. They almost look more like a military academy right now with Garrett Schrader running the ball. Now, he has evolved as a thrower, and I actually ended up watching the uh, 
NC State game the other morning while I was feeding Teddy on an ACC network uh, repeat. And I was impressed. That was probably the longest I'd watched Syracuse this year. And I really thought Schrader done a nice job. So credit uh, Jason Beck, the new quarterback coach, Robert and I, the new OC. They have elevated his game a bunch since he transferred there from Mississippi State. And credit Dino Babers for he, – he came from Art Bryles. He came from that system. He went to Eastern Illinois – and develop Jimmy Garoppolo, who was like a third string nobody, into you know an NFL starter in the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that system, that tempo, that way of playing was Dino Babers' identity, and he has made a drastic shift from that identity to this uh, to this current Syracuse team. Sean Tucker is one of the five best tailbacks in the country. They've they've developed a couple nice receivers. They've used the portal here and there, and. I, I do think the biggest difference in Syracuse now compared to when they toiled the last few years is the offensive line. Uh, I was looking at Tommy DeVito's stats the other morning when uh, we were writing about him uh, to, when he was going to start for Illinois. He got sacked 44 times in 2019. Think about that. Like that is a like that 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 not only is going to impact you physically, it's going to impact you mentally, and you're going to stink because if you're not getting sacked and your numbers aren't bad, you're worried about getting sacked. Mm-hmm. So. They went out, Dino went out and got uh, Mike Schmidt, the offensive line coach from San Diego State, who had a great reputation out there. Um, they got Tony White, who had been at San Diego State. And he was at Arizona State to run the 3-3-5 on defense. And he has basically identified weaknesses in the program and hired very well to fix them. And some of that included negating his own voice and say and identity in the program. And you don't see a lot of coaches recognize their own weaknesses and alter them. So that's a, that's a big credit to uh, a big credit to Babers. Now that said, does that hurt them that they don't do what they used to do in order to beat Clemson? It, it will be interesting to see that unfold. They won't be able to run on them much. Now Tucker might pop some runs and Schrader's dangerous, but Clemson's got a great, uh, a great run defense. But the one thing I wonder about is with this three, three, five that has historically, uh, vexed some quarterbacks, made them impatient at different times. What impact have you talked to anybody this week in terms of the coaching uh, matchup here? The impact that it might have on DJ Uyangalele's perceived improvement and development. I think it's a huge test for him, Reese. Um, so if I had to do a top three for the Broyles Award right now, I would put Alex Golish from Tennessee. Very high on the list. The the OC and play caller at Tennessee undoubtedly has been one of the stars of this season. I would put Andy Cottlenicki. I haven't forgot about Kansas, and he was doing good stuff with Jason Bean too. And then I would put Tony White there, um, right right in the thick of it with the, with the three three five. Syracuse is uh, in the top ten in defense right now in in the country. They completely uh, just suffocated NC State last week with a backup quarterback. So the what. It is a huge test for DJ Uyunglele has always had raw talent. He has not been a great processor. And that is something that has evolved to give Brandon Streeter credit. They've gone from a, a poor offense in 2021 to a decent to good offense this season. And DJ Uyunglele's numbers right now are comparable to second year starter numbers for some of those gaudy predecessors that he has, be it, uh, be it Trevor Lawrence, be it Deshaun Watson. DJ Uyunglele has been put in much better positions this season to make plays. The 3-3-5 is a whole different ballgame, though, because it can be unsound at times. Blitzers can come from everywhere. It is just it is just downright 
it is the perfect defense for a have-not school, and that's what Syracuse is in the modern ACC. They're a have-not school, just like it's been really good for Mike Leach at Mississippi State, what Zach Arnett has done down there. You that is just a it is if you're the Clemson offensive staff, you have a searing migraine this week trying to trying to prepare for it. Um, it's uh it's it's a really interesting defense, and I do I think it's a great point, Reese. That if if you Uyungle comes out and and plays flawless this week, I think that shows a huge step in what has been a distinct progression. I agree with you too, Pete. I mean, from that Rocky Long tree and, and Jim Haycock at Iowa State is now sort of the guy that everybody mm-hmm. seems to go to, though. Um, and I'm sure there are some subtle differences that are beyond my X and O capability. But when I think of that style of defense, I always think of the Rocky Long defenses at, at San Diego State. And we mm-hmm. even saw last week Iowa State, which had struggled, and Quinn Ewers, which he look, he's a terrific talent, but I brought up the stat that while it was a, a not that I came up with uh, a Marissa Dowling, our expert researcher, that in the number of drives in which Quinn Ewers had been on the field, that their yards per play and their scoring percentage and all of that was, you know, among the best in the nation, in some case, the best. And Texas won the game, but they had to fight for every inch and the oh, yeah. offense didn't exactly blow up and down the field on the Cyclones. So, uh, it'll be it's a really fascinating matchup in Uyangalale's progression, and I know Dabo, as Dabo is wont to do, has been adamant in his defense of his quarterback, and he should be. That yeah. that's fine, but yeah. that doesn't mean that he d- still doesn't have tests to pass, and one of them is coming is coming on Saturday against this style of defense from Syracuse. But talent still carries today, and the real question will be. Does Syracuse have enough horses to hang in there and actually pull the upset and the nation's longest winning streak and the nation's longest active home field winning streak? Uh, all huge challenges. We're going to hear from hear from Dino uh, on College Game Day Saturday morning, so that'll that'll be fun. He's he's terrific. Jim Gallardo is going to be excited. Our, uh, our our intrepid producer and loyal orange man, but they're not orange men anymore. They're just orange. <laughs> orange orange i went that reminds me clemson at boston college we're there for college game day a few years ago and you being a guy who lives in boston we went to you know the restaurant in the north end limoncello oh yeah steve adazio's favorite old haunt. It, oh man that place is fabulous uh north end of boston uh greater than little italy as a whole in new york city but nothing quite matches Campagnola on the Upper East Side of New York City in terms of Italian restaurants. I digress. But Susan, our, uh, our server that evening at Limoncello, was talking about all of the Clemson people mm. who would come in. And she said, orange, they're all wearing orange. <laughs> like I'm not, you should do it in a good Boston accent for us. But it was, uh, can, can you give me that? Wicked Pissa, they're wearing orange. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I could get yeah. you a better North End restaurant than Lemoncello. I like Lemoncello. I think it's really good. But I could, yeah, I, could, yeah, I, well, could I could, I could, I could top that next time. Next time you're through, um, yeah. If, if all right, you know, if you've already bought me the ribeye, um, we can, uh, we can go up to. Uh, <laughs> after, we're going to we we're going to look week. at we're going to look at that Friday, and uh, man, I, I'm going to tell you, it's a good thing that our record in making picks doesn't determine whether we are allowed to continue to do so because we, all three of us, including Mr. Math, tragic. I mean, 
I don't know if we're overanalyzing or getting bad luck. Uh, we're getting some bad luck, but you know, I picked anyway. Tennessee too. I was like, man, I only got one other one right than Tennessee. I just got. Yeah, I know that you were two and seven. We you and I were both two and seven. Um, yeah. I was, uh, I was also, I demand chagr- a recount. Stop the steal Taylor. <laughs> I was, uh, I was chagrined to find out in the aftermath Saturday night that I thought I had just, you know, that my super dog USF against Tulane had just let it get away. Turns out they lost their quarterback. They were ahead. They, the Baylor transfer, yeah. Gary Bohannon, they were ahead and sure. he got hurt and then they lost. But I, I got, I got some grief, um, from our friend Derek Pomansky, who works with Willie Fritz about mm-hmm. uh, about picking against the Green Wave, and I was tempted to do it again this week, but I don't really want to get worn out again. So I, I'm going to go to I'm, I may go to Twitter this week and give them two or three of my super dog choices. And I don't know if I'll let them choose just yet. One more loss, and I'm going to let them just let them choose it. But I may I may tell them to try to persuade me which of the three. I should take so anyway. Yeah. And good for the Green Wave, by the way. Uh, it w- it made me smile for that sure. they would be in a in a new era once realignment has settled. They would actually be the lead team to make the college football playoff. Um, when you consider the battleship that Willie Fritz has turned around at Tulane mm-hmm. to to get a like generations historic losing program to be a consistent bowl team every year, except last year, basically Uh, I'm very, yeah, just really happy for that program to have a little spark, tough market, tough place to play tough with the academics. Um, A vibrant two lanes. Good for everybody. So, and they've got their hands vibrant. Yeah. Got their hands full Saturday with with Memphis. Oh yeah. Nope. Nope. Memphis plays wild games. Uh, (laughs) That's the one thing you can count on uh, with, with Memphis. I assume that where we're going in Eugene will be wild also. I, I, right now, it looks as if I'm going to have an opportunity on Thursday afternoon if flights are on schedule and all of that. Really looking forward to visiting with Bo Nix. Now, on the show Saturday, we're going to, oh, do, nice. we're going to do something with DTR, but I'm going to have, have a chance, uh, you know, assuming everything's on time and it can fit in Bo's schedule, that we'll get a chance to talk. Because I, I'm fascinated by, by his decision to go to Oregon. Mm-hmm. How I'm fascinated by how it's working out, which is swimmingly at this mm-hmm. point, and the type of progress he feels like he made. And, and I think just from a, a human side, I'm interested in the difference uh, in emotions, playing one place, a place where you grew up dreaming of playing, and then going to a, all the way across the continent and playing for someone else for one year. I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing, you know, to me. Anyway. Yeah. I'm excited. You're, you're getting to do that. Cause I, I, I don't know if we've really heard the full Bo Nix, like just emotional recounting of his journey. Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure you're going to get it now either. I'm not yeah. sure you'll talk about it much, you know, yeah. we'll find out. Yeah. No. Well, that's up to you, Reese. Come on. You need well, to, well, uh... Some of it's up to him. I mean, you, I can ask the questions, uh, the yeah. question. He, he answers them how he chooses, right? Channel your inner Barbara Walters or, or Tom Rinaldi. <laughs> Get him crying. Let's go. Oh, you know? Okay. Tom, Tom Rinaldi, <laughs> I'll buy. We had a, uh, we, have you ever worked with the great John Sawatsky? Uh, I know of him, but I have not worked with him. For people who aren't familiar, John Sawatsky is an interviewing guru. He is, yep. he's brilliant. He will transform the way you attempt to conduct your interviews. The other thing that will happen is after you spend some time with John is that you will never again enjoy 
most television interviews. You'll be sitting there picking them apart and screaming at them. And some of the most, and I'm not going to call any names to put John in a bad spot, but some of the people that are deemed uh, the most prolific interviewers or the best interviewers, the hardest hitting, most incisive interviewers, um, Swatsky will tell you they're awful. And when you listen, when you apply the principles and listen to the answers they get, listen to the approach, he's right. They are. And the other thing he does to you is when you conduct one and you screw up, you know, with a question or a follow up or you know it immediately and it's infuriating, you know, mm-hmm. but the, there, there are a lot of layers on a macro and micro level of doing the interviewing, but basically the. Uh, the fundamental tenet of the question is open, neutral, lean, meaning yep. open-ended question. It's neutral, does not assign value, and the question is short and uh, concise. And you know, there are people. There are people within. I've had a lot of conversations with people in our building who disagree with some of the philosophy because they feel like it is not as conversational. But there are countless examples. Of there, there was one. Now I'll, I'll tell the story as quickly as I can. John uses it in his seminar. It's a man in Canada who was in a, at a flooded out bridge, and he was attacked by a beaver. And he goes on to this morning radio show, and the host interviews him. And basically, after setting the stage and asking him a question, the majority of the questions were things like, "And what happened next? Then what did you do?" What did you think about that? And well, how did you respond? How did you get the beaver off your leg? You know, all of that kind of thing. And and the and the guy, then the subject, to your point about me asking the right questions, the subject of the interview tells a fascinating story about being attacked by a beaver in a washed out bridge. Then he plays another clip of the same subject being interviewed by someone else. And the guy tries to tell the story for him and ask him a bunch of long questions. And you get a bunch of, yeah, he ripped my pants. And it wasn't fascinating at all. And, you know, hmm. so it's uh, if you have to, those shorter questions allow them to tell the story in most cases, but you can also get shot down pretty easily. So, and he has been a tremendous performer. And speaking of great performers, Best in Game is brought to you by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. All right. Well, there's going to be some judgy eyes on your Bo Nix interview on Saturday. So make sure you're channeling I've got, your inner I've only, got like a minute, I've only got a minute and a half. Uh, hey, I don't want excuses. Right I want now. results. All right. <laughs> don't tell me about the horse being blind. Just load the wagon, right? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I do think this is interesting. There is a great passion in Oregon. It's one of my favorite places to see a game. I think I've said that on here before. Like, I just really like that built-in environment. The noise kind of hovers, and it's just very uh, it's it's very different. There's also a unique passion at Auburn, right? Auburn is a passion play. It, for all its uh, strengths and weaknesses, there's plenty of passion at Auburn, right? Mm-hmm. So I would just be really curious how, like, how he feels that differently, you know? I just it, – it's it's a – it is it, – I, I agree with you. I am I am – excited you're going to do that and it's going to be incorporated in the show on Saturday because I just think that is that there's just so much different about Eugene Oregon and, uh, and Auburn Alabama um although his offensive coordinator is the same Kenny Dillingham right. was with him uh early on with uh with Gus in his career so I think that is one of the natural gateways there but just even like playing in the Pac-12 now as opposed to SEC it's just very it's very unique I mean let's say let's think about this for a second Tumor's Corner Lemonade Tumor's Corners Lemonade, chewable things. 
an eagle soaring majestically around the stadium, a cartoonish duck riding in on a motorcycle. There are a lot of differences there between there the are, two places, you know. There are uh, there are certainly uh, there are certainly plenty of differences. By the way, it's supposed to pour on Saturday. Oh, really? Right. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you know they're I having mean, a to- you know they're having a toga party. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Do you have a toga fitting uh, after your Bonex <laughs> interview on uh, you know togas on uh, togas on High Street in Eugene? If I were to wear a toga, it would definitely be tailored for sure <laughs> with a with a place for a pocket square. <laughs> a toga in a pocket square would actually be perfect. Who, um, who do you think is least likely to don a toga on our set? Me, you, <laughs> yeah, are, uh, are you? I'm not on the set, but I would no, say that can, no, no, you're you're part of the team, so you you would not wear a toga. Like I think even if I was like second. giving like updates on someone's concussion and I was wearing a toga <laughs> in a rainstorm, it would not be like very <laughs> very very fitting. Um, Obviously, McAfee is the most likely. Pollock right. would have no problem. Coach would definitely do it. Um, you know, I don't know if Desmond would wear a toga. I think you and Desmond would be like, yeah, you'd be sort of like neck and neck for last place on the toga odds board at Saratoga. I would say Herb Street. Now, now Desmond, now Desmond and I, Desmond and I would both take some serious convincing. Yes, and it would have to be in the right moment, the right. The right thing. I'm not sure Herbie would at all. I'm not sure fours go in there. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Herbie attended a toga party or two in Columbus back in the uh, Roaring Nineties. I think that's probably a fair assumption, right? But but true. But 2022 Herbie, I don't know. What about the bear? Oh, bear could rock a toga now. Bear could rock a toga. (laughs) How about a bear comes rolling out there in a toga on Saturday morning? That would be amazing. (laughs) That would be a walk off. We could cancel the show. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get Bear to roll out there in a toga, that's the whole scene set. Oh. Motorcycle, duck, Bear walking out in a toga to an adoring throng of people. That would be amazing. It would really be. That would be. That would be something else. There has to be some toga maker in Eugene right now who's ready to. I, where do you? Where do you? Where do you even get a toga? Just. I think most people just rip it right off their bed, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, probably I, so. If if it's pouring rain and there's five thousand people in togas on Saturday, <laughs> that's going to be something else. They'll they'll be there and be ready. Uh, the times that we've been there in the past, even though it's six a.m. local time, they show up. They're fired up. They're engaged. It's uh, it'll be it'll be really really fun scene. Rain or no rain, hopefully the rain, uh, hopefully the rain will stay away. I talked to Sonny Dykes yesterday for our college football playoff top 25 preview show about oh i saw uh, it it was a great about, interview about how quickly they had they had come together you know this is the first time in program history that they've defeated three ranked teams consecutively and now they have oh, another wow. one uh, coming in with kansas state looking forward to that that game too you you keep waiting for it to slip and with the with the running attack that Kansas State has, they can make the game at their pace, I think. But you sort of dive into the numbers, and you can't really find anything that Kansas State does exceptionally well, um, nor is there anything they really do poorly. But, you know, Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn, both among the you know nation's leaders in rushing, uh, you know, the quarterback with the extra number and all of that stuff, you know, helps them, I think, move the chains and, and take care of the ball. But there's a lot of speed. Uh, on the other side, how how do you handicap that matchup right now? It's it's really interesting because to me, Kansas State right now 
is showing that like Chris Kleiman just knows how to win football games, which yeah. is obviously something that he showed at North Dakota state in spades. Um, he recruited Trey Lance there. Like he knows how to recruit, he knows how to develop. And you are now feeling like this is his program. This isn't like 50, 50, this isn't the takeover. Like he, he has taken full hold there and they are just kind of figuring it out. Um, they, they made the switch at OC. Colin Klein is now the, is, is now the play caller. Martinez has been the perfect fit to run sort of a Colin Klein 2.0 type offense. Um, they are, uh, they are, and again, they play a style where they will be susceptible to a hiccup against Tulane, right? Because they're not going to win for 42 to three, although they did, they did, they did dump truck Missouri. So I shouldn't, mm-hmm. uh, I, I shouldn't say that, but they are going to, they are not going to like let it rip and be open tw- up 28, nothing in the, in the first quarter, like Ole Miss could be, or like chips old uh, Oregon teams could be, they're going to be sound. And uh, I, I really think from, from talking to people there this off season and this season, they're, they're winning with culture. They're, they're engaged and they're going to find different ways to win. They have, they have been as they've, as they've grown under climbing there, they have grown susceptible to taking very good flashy teams and dragging them into a mud pit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they come out of the mud pit with a win. Sometimes the other team escapes and brushes off their clothes and moves on. But I think this is going to be a mud pit game for, for TCU because of the physicality of K-State's defensive line, because of the way they're going to be forced to stop the, the dual run threat, um, like you said, of Deuce and Adrian. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a, uh, I think it's going to be a heck of a heck of a fun game. Uh, in Fort Worth this weekend, and it would not surprise me at all if uh, if, if K State kept TCU down in the mud. Will we see that game twice? Well, I mean, you know what? There, there's is a, there's a long way to go because you mm-hmm. play everybody in the Big Twelve, but they're the only two undefeated teams in conference play. Mm-hmm. Two teams right behind them: Texas and Oklahoma State play. This weekend, Oklahoma State has already lost the tiebreaker uh, to TCU, at least in terms of head to head, if it were Mm -hmm. to come to that at the end of the season. Maybe the advantage Texas would have is that they still have the opportunity to to play both or play all three, including Oklahoma State. But if Oklahoma State wins, then then Texas is in a bunch of trouble because they're two games behind whoever wins the TCU Kansas State game and they really can't lose again. So you're starting to you're seeing some shape in the Big 12 race uh, almost to the point to where I still think Texas is probably going to get there. And I feel like whoever wins in Stillwater Saturday um, is is going to have a really good chance to get there. But it's not going to be crazy to see. And nobody would have predicted this in the preseason TCU and Kansas State. um, They could play twice. They could play again. I feel like the Big 12's tiebreakers always become like uh, a searing focus. And <laughs> yeah. couldn't we have like five two loss teams or something? Oh, I'm cra- sure. it, it, like, yeah. like, I, I like yeah. always, and I love the Big 12, like uh, chaos, but it, it finds chaos, right? Like it just, it just seems to find that as a league. And I think we've said all along, you know, there's no dominant team in that league. You, you liked K State early, but you wouldn't let yourself like them. Do you let yourself like them more now? Yes. Uh, I, I like them more, but. I think seeing how explosive everybody else is around them still worries me. But I, I, I did like them in the preseason, I, and I still do. I, I, don't, I haven't settled on which side I'm going to land on between those two Saturday, between TCU and Kansas State. And to be honest, I'm, I'm leaning toward taking Oklahoma State in the points 
um, against Texas because they're going to be a little bit they're going to be a little bit desperate at home, uh, but really entertaining conference in the Big Twelve. And you know you're going to have Texas and Oklahoma sticking around for a couple more years, and you have the additions coming next year, and they're going without out divisions, which you know. We, when we talked about the playoff earlier, everybody eventually is going to have to go without divisions to mm-hmm. safeguard against um, some of those. But there, you're also going to have years like you're talking about if everybody in the Big 12 this year winds up with two losses. And, you know, maybe some year you're going to wind up with uh, one team with one loss and maybe everybody else has three. And then that team with three wins a conference championship game. Those are some of the things we're talking about with the automatic bids and the thresholds at the beginning, but it also makes for highly entertaining, wild and unpredictable games in the regular season. And we've seen that, uh, we've seen that week in and week out in the big 12. It's been as much fun as, as any league in the country. How big do you think the playoff would have to get to, to water down the regular season? Cause I don't think 12 does that at all. I think I do. it chooses it. Oh, you do. Well, it depends on your definition, Pete, because I know what you're saying, and I think it's time to pay this price. But it's already going to water down. We're losing something that has been a part of college football since we started crowning national champions, and that's the be-all, end-all regular season game, particularly November varieties. Mm-hmm. As I said, as I've said many times, it appears to be time to pay that price, but we shouldn't pretend that it that it is worthless and meaningless and that this will automatically be better. Mm -hmm. Uh, For instance, the Tennessee-Alabama game that we spent half the podcast raving about Mm -hmm. on Saturday, still meaningful, but and and I've made the point that Tennessee has three distinct avenues to the playoff. Alabama was reduced to one. Mm -hmm. When we have 12, Alabama's not reduced to one, you know, at all. And so you give up a little something. Mm-hmm. Does it keep more teams engaged? And maybe is that worth uh, worth paying that price? Okay, I'll accept that. What I won't accept is saying that the other way is bad. The other way has no merit. I'll give you another example. Mm-hmm. It can even be an off-the-radar game. Iowa and Ohio State are playing Saturday for the first time since 2017. The yep. last time they played, Ohio State, highly ranked on the way playoff, went to Kinnick and got their doors blown off by 31. Ended up winning the Big Ten, but because they had their doors blown off and didn't lose by a field goal at the end of the game, they got left just on the outside of the playoff. That game cost them. Mm -hmm. When it's 12, that game's just, that game's just, oh, it's one of those NFL deals. You don't win them all. And that's okay. It does help in some regard. I understand the coast-to-coast, keep Pac-12 involved. I get all of that. But you lose something, and we're going to lose something. And whether, whether people care about losing that, we'll find out. But I do think that there is some drama and uh, gargantuan stakes out of nowhere that only college football has. I mean, mm-hmm. that – Nobody thought that that game in Kennick Stadium in 2017 was going to determine the outcome of who's in the play, but sure. it did. That's yeah. gone once we expand. Do you think we get people resting players in the conference title game? Man, I hope not. I, I hope not too. I, I but I, I, yeah. Here's the thing: 
you, you know, we're in this game time decision world now, right? On game, yeah. oh, he's going to be a game time decision. Well, if he's going to be a game time decision, you ain't playing him if what you're going to ultimately be judged on comes after that. I right. just, you know, again, I, I'm not saying that everybody's going to like play their twos and treat it like treat it like the the spring game, but I do think, you know, you've got, you know. What, what's interesting to me about the new playoff is the gauntlet these teams are going to go through. So say you're an SEC team, you play your late November uh, Furman game, right? And then you go one huge rivalry game at the end of the year. So let's just say it's Auburn, Alabama, and then you play the SEC title game. And say you lose that, and then you play first round game at home against a really good team. Like you play K-State, right? Like in a mm-hmm. five-verse Oh, uh, I guess it'd be five versus 12, right? Five versus 12 game. You play a team like K-State or you're six and you, pl- you know, you play a good team, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you go and you still have three games left, right? Is it three yeah. games? Yeah. You got to. Yeah. yeah. Because if you're in that first round, you Correct. have to win one to get to eight, win one to get to four, yeah. win one to get to two. And then when it would yeah. Yeah, it'd be three more after that, it's 12, but you don't. Yeah. You, it, it's, you, you're playing it like it's a 16 team bracket, if that makes right. sense. So, yeah, yeah, like that's that's a lot of, you know, pounding of football after you've kind of set your body up starting in August for, you know, a pretty good gauntlet. So anyway, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Look, I mean, think about the Alabama receivers who got hurt in the postseason last year. Um, it, it just again, it again, there's there's a to- there's a toll and a cost to everything, like you said before, with that, you know, gigantic November all stakes showdown having less all stakes. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's where we are now and does getting a a big bucket of NIL money, make that risk more worthwhile. If you're putting your body, you know, if you're putting your body on the line. Yeah. I do think that like any NFL, it's going to be interesting to see highly ranked NFL guys who aren't in the playoff. If they're the percentage of participation in bowls continues to dwindle. Yeah, that probably will. I think that's going to continue to do so. What I would like to see, and we're in the middle of the week, I probably should stay on the present, but one quick thing about the bowls. I would like to see them treated as what they were when they were invented, and that's exhibition games. They were designed to promote tourism and be an exhibition football game. So play your freshmen, play your, uh, your early enrollees, Play guys or redshirts don't count. You know, don't count about that. Treat it like you know. I know it aggravated the fire out of Oklahoma, but treat it the way Dan Mullen treated the the Cotton Bowl against uh, Oklahoma when he was at Florida a few years ago. Just yeah, play guys, see what you got. And because there's nothing for these these bowls are still entertaining as football. I want to watch them. I like watching college football, but they have no bearing on the championship race and maybe then and maybe it even changes the perception of the way your season's evaluated if the bowl is is an exhibition as opposed to being viewed as some type of validation or invalidation of your season because you never know how you're going to be motivated i've heard stories from coaches and i know you have too about um players over the years back in the pre-nil days finding out that the team they were playing um allowed their players to travel on their own to the bowl site. So they, they found a way to get more money for the players and do so above board and within the rules. And the team that took the charter didn't have the same spending money at the bowl site. And so they're all ticked off about it. And, you know, so 
things like that have always been in play in terms of finding motivation in bowl games. So why don't they just make them exhibitions and let anybody play, play your backup quarterback, the guys that are going to the NFL, you know, they're probably not going to play. And it's almost like a preview of next year, especially once we go into this world of having 12 teams and first round games and then rounds of eight and all of that. Yeah. If you're the SEC team that finishes 16th and you've got, you know, the typical six half dozen NFL guys, boy, that's going to be hard to kind of get them, you know, get them on board to uh, to go. And it is hard already, let's be honest, right? But you can um, but can't you you can get the guys who are coming back next year who want oh, yeah. to replace them on sure. board. Oh right? yeah. No, no, yeah. there's no there's no question. If you're a redshirt sophomore who's, you know, only moonlighted on, on the field, that's a huge opportunity for you. So, yes, I, I look, I am a I am pro bowl, right? Like I I that I I like football. I'm going to, you know, on on Wednesday night, I'm going to watch App State against Georgia State and I will probably do the chagrin of my wife watch every snap, right? Like I just <laughs> I like football. So, I'm going to always watch air on the side of watching more football and um, so I'm certainly never going to complain about bowls. Bowls are profitable. Bowls are vibrant. Players like playing in them. They're not going to go away. Um, they just may change a, a little bit of how they look, and that's fine. Yeah, I mean, things are the playoff is changing the way it's like. I think scheduling is going to change. You brought up a great point earlier about some of the um, power conference teams. They're not going to play as many of those games because there's more. There are more opportunities for at large bids. You're not going to be devastated if you play Ohio State and you lose. You know, it's that's not going to be devastating to your season. Um, disappointing in the moment, but you'll still have a lot to play for and still opportunity to get in the playoff as a as a two or three loss team. About time to you know settle this in, start thinking about the Friday podcast. What have you done to try to change your approach, to change your luck and in, in making some of these picks? Because I haven't changed anything yet. I'm stubbornly sticking to the process and it's not working right now. I might need to make some personnel changes or something. Yeah. So I have gone mostly on gut, right? I'm obviously looking at these games. I'm talking to coaches. I'm gleaning information, but I, what I don't want to do is be so bad at my picks that I like stop going after news and stop researching <laughs> stories and just start calling <laughs> coaches about the matchup for my own standing and my own race for the ribeye, which I'm, Almost conceding I'm going to be buying for uh, buying for someone, uh, probably probably Bill. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're going to have to have Bill come up to the Football Foundation event. And uh, yeah, I don't know how far ahead he is. I'm not going to give up because I look, I'm due, right? I'm really, really due. So uh, I, I, I feel a, I feel a heater coming on. I just, I just want to make things close. So yeah, you, I mean, look, it's not it's not ridiculous. If you have a good week and Bill has a bad one. You're you're back on top. I mean, he's. He's seven games under 500, you know? No. So, yeah, we've been gross. There's no other way to yeah, say it. we've been it's gross. Been... One of my friends texted me last week or this week. He said, We need Yahoo Pete back picking. Because <laughs> last year I had 60% <laughs> of my games. And what? this year, yeah, it's all, it all evens out. Don't, uh, that's why, that's why I don't gamble. Just buy more what? Apple stock. Uh, uh, that's why uh, the great Kenny Main line from years gone by. That's why gambling's wrong from a yes. guy who absolutely loved gambling, by the sure. way. So, anyway. Sure. Well, we're going to make some picks on Friday. Solid, solid schedule of games. It's not necessarily filled with the blockbusters from a week ago, but several games matching ranked opponents, some that uh, could provide surprises. And Pete and Bill and I will 
Be along to make those picks on the Friday edition of the College Game Day podcast. We encourage you to download this podcast wherever it is you like to get your listening pleasure, and we will see you on Friday.